Sunday, so wonderful to have you here with us. If you are new to our congregation, want to welcome you. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here. And if this is your first time here, uh, I am thrilled that you're with us. And at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area. I'd love to meet you if we've never met before. So please just stop by and uh, introduce yourself to me and to our staff that's downstairs. Uh, before I get into my message today, I uh, wanted to remind you, to get, today begins Holy Week. It's Palm Sunday. We begin Holy Week, a time where the church around the world uh, focuses on the story of Jesus, his journey to the cross, uh, from the entry uh, on Palm Sunday into uh, the triumphal entry in Palm Sunday, Jesus riding on a donkey, to him hanging on a cross, to him raised from the dead, the church focuses intently on his journey. And uh, so my, our, our hope and my goal is that we are focusing on Jesus this week in, in really special, profound, deep ways as we gather with the church around the world to do so. This coming Friday, we have our Good Friday services. We have three services. It's 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and 7 o'clock. If you've never been to our Good Friday service, there's a time of worship, time of singing. I'll be giving a short message. And then we have prayer centers around the building. And so it's going to be a really wonderful time. We used to have two services. We made it three, just the size of our congregation growing. And we want to have enough space at the prayer centers so that you don't feel rushed or feel like you're on the four train. Uh, that's, that's just during rush hour. Uh, we also have our Easter Sunday services at 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And just note the time difference here. It's not, we won't be meeting at 1230. We'll be meeting at 1 o'clock. And if you can come to this service, that would be great. Every service, I imagine, is going to be very crowded. I want to in, uh, invite you to invite a friend. A lot of folks come to church on Easter Sunday, and it's a great opportunity to invite them. And so uh, in your workplace, your neighbor, just invite them to come to church. Maybe they, they would say yes. Many will say no, but maybe there'll be one or two that say, yeah, I, I'd, I'd go with you. And pick them up as well. If they're a neighbor, pick them up, drive them to church. Uh, or walk with them so that they don't come alone. So that's 9 o'clock, uh, 11 o'clock, and 1 p.m. And just as a reminder, I mentioned it last week, but we'll have an overflow space for each service, which is to say, uh, just come early. Uh, just, just be here 20, 30 minutes before the service begins so that you, if you want to get a seat in this room here, you just want to come early, all right? All right, with that said, uh, we are drawing near the end of our... Uh, Ten Commandments series, and we focus on the first seven. Today we're going to focus, you're going to get two for the price of one today. We're going to focus on eight and nine. Next week I'll preach on Easter and the resurrection, and then the following week we're going to get to the Tenth Commandment, and then after that we're going to go into a new series on called Encounters with Jesus. We're going to focus on the stories of, in the Gospels, of people who encountered Jesus and the transformation that they experience. It's going to be a really wonderful series to kick into uh, after uh, Easter and after the, the 10th commandment. But today we're focusing on two of the, the commandments, commandments 8 and 9. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, you shall not steal. That's simple enough. And then 9, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we look to your word, now through the power of the Holy Spirit, give us illumination and revelation. Lord, teach us what this passage means 
And not just what it means historically, what does it mean for our lives today? What does it mean for our lives this week in Queens, New York City? And so we offer ourselves to you. May your spirit come, lead us and guide us in the way we should go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. One of the, the gifts and challenges of being married to Rosie, my wife, is her honesty. She has no problem being honest with me. And she has no problem telling me like it is, especially when it comes to what what I wear, when it comes to what I wear. When you see me on Sundays, they're usually seeing me in my Sunday best to some degree, my Sunday best. But throughout the course of the week, it's not always like this. You see, there's some sweatshirts that I have, some hoodies that I wear that really don't fit me anymore, that has some holes in them. And Rosie will ask a real perceptive um, compassionate question as I'm walking out the house she'll say you're not going to wear that are you (laughs) and I go yeah what's the problem and she'll go you know it it doesn't fit you anymore and then she'll point to the pile of gift cards that are on the side of our bed and and she'll go look at all those gift cards you had you know you can just go to the mall and get something that actually fits you Something that's not broken and all that. And I say, but this is, this is my sweater. I, I'm used to this sweater. But she's essentially saying, it doesn't fit you anymore. There's something else for you. Now, I want you to hold that image, that metaphor, that illustration for a moment because I think this is exactly what's happening with the Ten Commandments. God is letting his people know, for 400 years, you've been living and wearing a particular outfit. It's the outfit that's made by Egypt. That's the brand, Egypt clothing. You've been wearing this outfit for 400 years, and now you're free. Now you've been liberated. Now you've been redeemed. There's a whole lot of uh, spiritual, if you will, gift cards waiting for you at your disposal. There is a new identity for you to live into. And this is what God is saying to the people of God. There's a new identity. There's a new mission. There's a new wardrobe that is to identify your very life. And so at the core of these Ten Commandments, if you can drill it down, what is God trying to get at with these Ten Commandments? I'd say it's really these two things. The Ten Commandments are given to reveal God's character and our calling in the world. God's character and our calling in the world. God wants to redeem us in such a way so that we reveal God and live out a particular calling in the world. And this is where we pick up as we continue our series with commandment number eight. Now, it it bears repeating every single week until this is etched in your brain, until this is stamped on your soul, that the Ten Commandments were given not to free the people of God, but to show what free people look like. I can't say it enough. God did not give them the Ten Commandments while they were in Egypt. He doesn't give them the Ten Commandments while they're still in slavery, while they're still in bondage. He doesn't give them the Ten Commandments in that place and say to them, obey these commands fully, and when you obey them fully and perfectly, then I will save you, then I will liberate you from the hand of Pharaoh. No, no, no. God in his compassionate love, God in his gracious mercy, God in his loving kindness frees the people of God liberates them, saves them, sets them free from the hand of Pharaoh, and then gives them the Ten Commandments to let them know they are to be different than the world. And at the core, they are, they are to show God's character. They are given a new identity, and they are given a new mission. Their new identity is shaped by God. 
And their new mission is to show the world what God looks like. And that is your job description. That's my job description as a follower of Jesus. Your primary job description as a follower of Jesus is to live into the new identity that you've received and to show the world what God is like. At your workplace, you are to show the world what God is like. On, while we're driving on Queens Boulevard, Lord help us, uh, we, we are to show the world what God is like. At home, at school, we are to show the world what God is like. We have a new identity and we have a new mission. And so to that end, God gives these commands. These are not arbitrary commands, random commands. These commands correspond to the ways that they have been shaped for 400 years. And so God liberates them and says, I got so, a new way for you to live. So he gives them the first command. You shall not have any other gods before me. They, were, they had a lot of other gods before Yahweh. The second commandment, you shall not make any graven images. That's all they did in Egypt. Third command, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Fourth, you shall remember the Sabbath. Fifth, you shall honor your father and mother. Sixth, you shall not commit a, a murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Now he gets to eight. He's letting them know you've been shaped for 400 years in this way. Now you're called to a new way of being in the world. The eighth commandment is now, you shall not steal. Now this command has application and implications for all of our lives. Whether we're talking about shoplifting in Queen Center Mall, or whether we're talking about plagiarizing someone's ideas, whether we're talking about human trafficking or stealing land from another nation, whether we are talking about it's tax season, not properly reporting your taxes. Amen. Um, this command has wide-ranging application and implications for our lives. And this command reminds us at the core that we sin against others when we refuse to honor what is theirs. We sin against others when we refuse to honor what is rightfully theirs. We diminish the lives of others and we diminish our own lives when we're caught up in theft, when we're caught up in stealing because we were called to live a life of neighbor love and actually we were called to live into the positive end of that command which is a life of generosity. And yet the sad reality of our day is we are surrounded by a world that steals. Just yesterday, I took Nathan and Karis to the park. It was a beautiful day, 74 degrees. They took their scooters, and so they're taking, we're going to the playground, they're taking their scooters, and we get to the playground, lots of kids all over the place. And we park our scooters by the bench there, and, and, and I'm about to follow them because there's a lot of kids, and Nathan, my four-year-old, says, Daddy, stay right here. <laughs> I, go, I go, why, son? He goes, someone's going to take my scooter. Stay four years old. Someone is going to take my scooter. Stay right here. How is it a four-year-old somehow knows that our world is marked by stealing? I was on the R train this past week during rush hour. And every time I got bumped, I checked my pants, my wallet. I just, I just, I just, my wallet's here, my phone's here. Got bumped again. Wait, I'm, I'm looking at everyone very suspiciously on the R train because we are marked by a world that steals. 
And there's so many reasons why we steal, so many reasons why we're caught up in this way. And so just like every other commandment that I've been talking about, there are many different perspectives, there are many different uh, uh, layers, there are many different nuances to see every command, and we need to look at the many different layers of this command as well. There are many reasons why people steal. Now, some people steal because they have a legitimate need, but they've chosen an illegitimate way to meet that need. I was in CVS this past week, and as I walked in, I passed by the kids' section there to get some an item for the kids, and as I looked over, I noticed that there was a children's Motrin with an empty box. The medicine was taken out, and there was a box just empty right there. My first is like, come on, Queens, we're better than this. Come on. And then I thought for a moment, well, maybe there might have been a parent who had a child with high fever, and he or she could not afford a bottle of Motrin. Perhaps this is a legitimate need that has been now met in an illegitimate way. I'm not here to justify what was happening, but sometimes people steal because of a legitimate need. Others steal because not of a legitimate need, but because of greed. I recall almost a quarter century ago, I got my first ATM card. And I had a job, and I am about to take out $20. I probably had 22 and I was taking $20 out. <laughs> and as I walk up to the ATM, I see that there's a, a thing that says, would you like to make another transaction? And I thought to myself, of course I want to make another transaction. And at that moment, I press yes, seeing what was going to happen. And it gave me a number of options. How much money? This is not my... How much money would you like to take out? And here I am, a teenager. I clicked the two, I said 200 sounds safe. <laughs> and I pressed 200 and cash came out that machine. And I bought a new pair of Timberland boots with that there as well. <laughs> now that was almost a quarter century ago. But let me tell you something that happened this past Friday. I'm in the post office, got to mail something out. I need a little bit of tape just to close the box. And I go to the teller and I say, hey, is there any tape that I can borrow so I can just close this box up? And the teller says, you can't, there's no tape we have, but you can purchase tape <laughs> right in the back there. I said, I just, I just need a little bit of tape. I, don't need, I didn't need a whole roll of tape. I just need a little bit of tape. They said, no, you got to purchase it first. And so I go to the back. I'm like, I got I to gotta purchase the tape. And so I walk all the way to the back, and, and I use the tape there, and I close it up, and then I have the roll of tape. And then I look back, and I realize the teller who told me to do that is now with someone else. There's another teller there who didn't even see that conversation I had with that teller. But then I realize I'm preaching on the Eighth Commandment. Don't steal. And so... <laughs> And so I bring up and I, and I pay. I didn't need to roll it, but I pay $3.49 for a roll of tape. And what I thought as I was paying for it was this. Is my integrity worth $3.49? At the core of this command is really integrity. Is what's happening on the inside 
consistent with what's happening on the outside. And this is what this command is about, a life of integrity. And so the people of God are to be marked by integrity. We steal for many different reasons. We steal because there's legitimate need that we've tried to meet in an illegitimate way. We steal because of greed. We steal because, because the thrill of it. Some people steal for the very thrill of it. But at the core of theft, at the core of stealing, I think really it's two things. And whether we're talking about plagiarism or whether we're talking about stealing some kind of monetary thing, at the core of it is two things. At the core of it, I believe it's security and significance. Security and significance. Security asks the question, do I have enough? Will I have enough? Significance asks the question, am I enough? The first is, will I have enough? The second is, am I enough? And those are the two questions that we need to hold on to because in, gospel, in, in, in Jesus Christ, the gospel reminds us you are enough. Another thing is not going to make you enough. Another possession is not going to make you enough. You already are enough. And in him, you already have enough. And so we are to be reminded because of God's saving love, because of his grace, because of this good news, we are to be, find our identity not in what we have or what we do not have, but find it in what God has already done for us. And it is his gracious love that comes to us, that forms our hearts, not just to not steal, but to live into the positive dimension of that command, which is now to live our lives generously. Those who have been set free by Jesus Christ, don't just not steal. We are now marked by generosity of spirit, generosity with our possessions, generosity with our time. I'm reminded of one of my favorite plays, one of my favorite musicals, Les Mis. I love Les Mis. I've watched the Broadway show numerous times. 25th anniversary, 20th anniversary, I've memorized all the words. I can sing them for you now, 24601, okay? I, I, I memorized all of that, and, and it's a story, a profound story of how God meets someone with grace, which results in generosity. It's surrounded by the protagonist, Jean Valjean. And this is during the French Revolution. He steals some bread for his uh, family, and, and he is put in prison. And he's put in prison for uh, five years, and he tries to escape. He's put in prison for another 14 years. And so for almost 20 years, Jean Valjean is in prison. He finally gets out, and he's an ex-convict. No one wants to take him in. No one wants to help him. No one wants to give him a break. He is now a, a convict who's now out in the streets. He has nothing to eat. He has no job. No one's going to hire him. And so one day, he, he f- falls to sleep. He finds a space in the front of a church, and he falls to sleep. And the bishop of that church, the priest of that church, opens the door and says, you shouldn't be sleeping out here. Why don't you come inside? Let me give you a warm meal. Let me give you a a bed. You can sleep here for the night. And Jean Valjean takes that invitation. In the middle of the night, he sees that this, this church has a lot of fancy stuff. And he decides in the middle of the night to steal some fancy stuff and runs out of the street to only to be caught by these officers, and these officers bring them right back to the church and saying, this is the church's stuff. And they wake up the bishop and say, uh, Father, they have taken your stuff. And the bishop says, wait a minute, my friend, to Jean Valjean, you've actually forgotten the two most precious items in all of the church. 
two silver candlesticks. And he goes, you forgot these as well. And he gives this Jean Valjean the two candlesticks. And at that moment, his heart is pricked by grace. He's convicted in a different kind of way. He's convicted by the grace of another man, the grace of God. And this bishop says, I have now purchased your soul for God. Now you are called to live in a different way, a life marked now by generosity. To have our hearts convicted by grace is not just about not stealing. It's about living into the positive dimension of that command. Are we living generous lives? Are we rooting our identity in what God has done for us? And as a result, offering generosity of spirit to the world. This is the goal of this eighth command. Not just so that we're not stealing stuff, but that we're giving away stuff. That we live free enough. Free people give. Enslaved people take. And to be marked by salvation, to be marked by freedom, to be marked by liberation is to offer ourselves generously to the world. Generosity of spirit. And so here the people of God have this eighth commandment. And then we move to the ninth commandment, which is actually related to the eighth. And the ninth commandment is you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony against the neighbor. And the two are actually really connected to each other. The eighth commandment, in the eighth commandment, God calls his people to protect the rightful possessions of their neighbor. The ninth commandment, God calls his people to protect the reputation of their neighbor. The eighth is about protecting the rightful possessions of their neighbor. The ninth is about protecting the reputation of their neighbor. In short, this commandment basically says, don't destroy your neighbor through falsehood. Don't destroy your neighbor through lies. Now, let's look at how this worked out in ancient times. In ancient times, there was no uh, uh, Supreme Court. There was no Judge Judy. Whenever something bad happened, they would go out into the wilderness, and there'd be an elder there. And they would have to weigh the dispute, look at what crime was committed. But the basis of the decision was on a testimony, a witness, the testimony of a witness. Remember, there's no DNA sampling. There's no, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. There's none of that there. There is, on the basis of a testimony, of a witness, that's the only thing you had to do. Now, here's the problem. What if you didn't like someone? What if someone rubbed you the wrong way? What if someone cut you off? What if someone did something wrong to you? You go out and you saw what happened or you didn't see what happened. And what begins to happen is if someone gives false witness, false testimony, they are now endangering the life of their neighbor. And so this is more than just a $25 fine in community service. In some cases... This might be death to their neighbor. And so in giving this ninth commandment, what Moses is saying, what God is saying, is that our lives are to be marked by truth because any kind of falsehood can endanger the life of someone else, which is why in ancient times, in the law of Moses, they would bring another witness to make sure it, the, the, the testimony was corroborated so that someone could either be exonerated or someone found guilty. But, but the truth of the matter is the people of God were to be marked by honesty. 
The people of God were to be marked by speaking the truth. Now, things have changed, of course, but there's a universal principle at stake here, and it is that our, in our speech, we are to be concerned about the effect of our speech on the entire community. Whether that community is our home, whether that community is our church, whether that community is our workplace, our words, when spoken falsely, can endanger and damage community. Damage the reputation of another person. And so it's important to note that when I say this, there are times when speaking words about someone, truthful words about someone, might damage someone's reputation because who they were in public was not reflected by who they were in private. And so to actually, in some cases, to actually speak out in truthfulness about someone's incongruity might damage their reputation because they were living an inconsistent life without integrity. I'm not talking about that, though. I'm talking about speaking falsely to ruin the reputation of another. And so at the, at the core of it, we're talking about three things with this command. The first thing we're talking about is that this command prohibits intentionally misrepresenting what someone says or does. It prohibits this, misrepresenting what someone says or does. Now, we live in a divided society in which people use clickbait, people use edited videos, People use words that are taken out of context and use those things as weapons to impact someone who doesn't believe what they believe, to impact someone who doesn't vote like they vote. And so we live in a world in which things are taken out of context or taken in such a way where it falsely represents someone. And this happens at the highest levels of government in which at the highest levels of government, videos are edited, videos are doctored, speeches are taken in a particular way out of context, which actually endangers the lives of people. And this happens in our workplaces. This happens in estranged relationships where we misrepresent what someone says or does. And this command is about not false, giving false testimony about your neighbor. Secondly, this command prohibits slander. Slander of any kind, speaking in ways that are unjust against another person. Which is why as Christians, we, we, we never gossip as Christians. Uh, that's not a statement of fact. I'm just saying a statement of like, we're, uh, I'm, I'm speaking in the, uh, I forgot what the phrase, I'm, I'm, what, what, what the ideal scenario is supposed to be. And as I say from time to time, us Christians, we never gossip. We just share prayer requests. That's what we do. Okay, so. Amen. Uh, we are not to participate in slander, in gossip, in speaking behind someone's back. If we have an issue with someone, we do the mature thing. We speak face to face, eye to eye. We resolve our issues. We don't slander someone else. But at the core, the baseline of this command is this command prohibits falsehood of any kind. In short, this command is basically saying free people live and speak truthfully. 
Free people, if you're free, you've been set free to live and speak truthfully. Now, what I want you to do for a moment in, in the silence of your own mind and heart is to think about this past week. And I want you to think about the time or times when you lied. Might have been in a conversation, might have been something you premeditated. I read a statistic that said 90, in a given week, 91% of people will tell a premeditated lie in a given week. Think for a moment, why did you, when did you lie and why did you lie? I saw some of the most famous lies that we speak, the little what we call white lies we speak, things that say like, I'm busy that day. Or let's keep in touch. Or my phone died. Or you're late to work and you say, someone died on the train. Let me really get dramatic here. You want to keep that job. Someone died. I tell you, someone died. Jumped in front of the train. You know, I've been swamped lately. I'm five minutes away. That's my favorite one. Um, Honey, I'm five minutes away. I'm, I'm five minutes away. I know I have another 20, but I'm five. I'm five minutes away. I didn't get your email. I, I mean, the list goes on of how many lies we tell and speak in a given day. And this is something that pervades our world as well. We, we see religious leaders and pastors lying, CEOs and government officials lying, parents trying to get their kids into Ivy League schools lying. Then there are lies in our workplaces, lies in our families, lies in our own hearts. We, we lie about so many things. We lie about how good our lives are, when in fact it, we're struggling a lot. How you doing? Great. <laughs> Blessed. Not stressed, you know, well-dressed. I mean, we have the whole, we have rhymes to the whole thing. And by all means, I'm not saying that every time you greet someone in the lobby at church and they say, how you doing? You go into the whole, well, let me show you my genogram, show you how I'm doing. I'm not doing too well. You know, I'm not saying we go into all of that there. But when's the last time you were really honest with someone about how you feel? Honest with someone about your deep sadness that you've had to mask in public? Honest with someone about the deep anger you feel? Honest with someone about the anxiety that's coursing through your veins. When's the last time you spoke the truth about how you feel? When's the last time you spoke the truth about what you thought, about what you believed, about how you disagreed with someone? When's the last time you were honest? Honest about what you believe, honest about what you feel, honest about what you know. Now, every lie is not as consequential, but every lie damages relationships. Every lie damages your own soul because you are not being who God called you to be. And so the degree to which we live in truth is the degree to which we are free. The degree to which we live in truth and speak the truth is the degree to which we are free. And in a given week, we have many opportunities to be speak the truth. And the truth is we often do not do it. Why do we lie? Why do we lie? Well, we lie for a number of reasons. We lie, first of all, because we don't want to hurt anyone. 
I think about these words spoken by Stanley Harawas, where he says, I think we lie often not because we're liars, but because we're moderately good people who don't want to hurt anyone. And therefore, we, of, we oftentimes restrain ourselves from saying what needs to be said because we don't want to live with the results. We're moderately good people. We, we often lie to conceal ourselves from pain. I think about this in my relationship with Rosie. In our 13 years of marriage, the first number of years, I had a hard time telling her the truth about how I truly felt about something, thinking, I don't know if she can handle it, which, which is a, what conclusions am I coming to about her if I'm saying I don't think you can handle the truth? I'm already making a lots of, uh, I am now projecting my own issues onto her. And when I would say that, she would effectively say, I can handle it. And she sure can handle it. But, I, but for me, it was more than just about you can't It was, I cannot handle speaking the truth here. We, 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 we don't often want to hurt people, but we, we don't want to hurt ourselves. And so we don't speak the truth as a way, uh, so we blame. We, we lie to escape danger. We lie because we don't like conflict. We lie because we want everyone to like us. And so instead of being honest with ourselves and honest with other people, we rather want everyone to like us, escape any kind of conflict, and yet, here's what happens. We go from telling lies to becoming a lie. Our very existence now is a lie. This is why Paul in Ephesians, he says, when he says put away falsehood, he's not just saying put away some of the lies that you speak. He's saying, you're, put away the lies that your entire existence now is based on a lie. And yet God, free people live in truth. Bound people live in a lie. And so the antidote to, to this command, the antidote to, to not lying is not simply speaking the truth. The antidote, the, 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 what really gets us to living truthful lies, lives is to believe a deeper truth. Because the, tr- the, the truth is, we have often believed a lie, which is why we lie. And the big lie that we believe is that we will not be accepted. That we, we, our lives don't matter if you see who I really am. And the deeper truth that dispels the lies is the truth that you are unconditionally loved by God. When you can sit in the reality that you are unconditionally loved by God, there's no need to lie anymore because your identity is not based on what other people think about you. Your identity is not based on the image you're trying to project. Your identity is based on something deeper. It's the love of God that now identifies you. And when you can root yourself in the love of God, the lies begin to fall off. No longer are you bound by other people's opinions. No longer are you bound by what you have and what you do not have. No longer are you bound by what you know and what you do not know. No longer are you bound by what you've accomplished and what you have not accomplished. Your life is marked by grace, marked by love, marked by mercy, marked by God's unconditional love in your life. And so if you find yourself lying, here's the question, what are you afraid of? 
Let that love so penetrate your heart. Here's the gospel in a nutshell when it comes to this eighth and ninth commandment. The gospel says, if you root your life in me, you will not need to steal because you already have everything in me. The gospel says, if you root your life in the truth of my love, you won't have to live an existence marked by lying. You are unconditionally loved by God. And so this is why we have Palm Sunday, and I want to close by just reflecting on the palms. This palm... When, when they waved the palm and shouted Hosanna, the word Hosanna means save us now. Save us now. And when they lifted it up, they're saying, Lord, we need you to save us. And 2,000 years ago, they wanted to be saved from Roman oppression. And so they wanted a particular kind of salvation. And Jesus Christ was on that donkey, headed to the cross. Not to simply set them free from Roman oppression. He was about to free the entire world from the power of sin and death. But the cry of their heart is to be the cry of our hearts. Hosanna, save us now. Lord, I get so caught up in stealing. I get so caught up in lying. My entire existence is one of falsehood. Save me now. And lest you believe that the Christian only says that one time, we are saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. Which is why every single day we are to raise the palm branch of our life and say, Lord, save me now. Every single day, save me now. Lord, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. What we just sang, save me now. And until we can confess that every single day, we will live our lives bound. But until we say, Lord, save us now, we position ourselves for the freedom, the freedom to live in truth, the freedom to live with generous lives, the freedom to live in the way that God has called us into. Lord, save us now. Amen. Let's pray together. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And as I do, I want to invite the prayer team just to come to the front here. We've been closing every Sunday during the season of Lent with a time of prayer, with a time of ministry. We want to close. This is the last Sunday of Lent. We want to close just positioning ourselves to receive prayer. We'll sing for a few minutes and but we want to open ourselves up to what God wants to do. I imagine some of you in this room, maybe you've been caught up in stealing and it looks different for many different people. Some of you have been caught up in lying, trying to present yourself as something that you're not. And the Lord wants to free us, to set us free. We'll have prayer ministry in the balcony and down below here. And as the Lord leads you, I invite you to come forward just to receive prayer and we'll sing. But don't leave here. If the Lord is speaking to you, don't leave here. And if you're not a Christian, 
God loves you with an everlasting love and he wants to rescue you today, save you, forgive you, give you a new wardrobe to wear because what you're wearing doesn't fit anymore. There's something else he has for you. And so Lord Jesus, he and she who the sun sets free is free indeed. And Lord, I pray that you would once again set us free from the powers of sin and death, that we may be the people you've called us to be. May we receive what you have for us as we pray for one another. We sing to you now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing for the next six, seven minutes. And as the Lord leads you, just come forward. Our prayer team would love to pray for you.
as we begin Holy Week, I'm reminded of the hymn we sang during offering. And those words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And that's my heart, that's your heart. In a given week, my heart wanders from God. In a given week, my heart just strays, and I need the grace of God to pull me back. And so as we begin Holy Week, we, we begin with repentance, we begin with confession. And I want to invite us just to sing that portion of the song just a couple of times through, that the Lord would bind our hearts to his this Holy Week, that our lives be marked by the kind of loving union that Jesus longs for us to have. And let's sing that chorus through to- a few times as we close our gathering together. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace flow like a fetter by my wandering heart to out loud. prayer team will be here as long as we need to and so at the end of our service if you feel called just to receive prayer uh, we'd love to pray for you our sister Yofana will here will offer the bread and the cup and so when you come forward uh, you can receive the bread and the cup as well as a way of entering into holy week we begin holy week with repentance focusing on the story of Jesus what he's done for us on the cross and the resurrection And this week is not just like any other week. We gather with the church around the world and paying particular attention to Jesus Christ, to his journey, to his love, to his life, to his passion. And so my hope and desire for you is that this this week will be marked by greater times of prayer, greater times of reflection and contemplation as we look to Jesus and what he's done for us. Our sister, your father's here with the bread and the cup. You can come forward for prayer. Um, I want to ask, as we've done in the past uh, few weeks, that if you wouldn't mind just grabbing a chair and just putting it to the side, we want to set up in a couple of days just for um, Good Friday and all the things that need to take place in this room. So that would really help us down below. If you just grab a chair, put it to the side. Grab a chair and put it to this side as well. That would really help us. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And I'd ask, if possible, there's going to be some prayer ministry here that we're just, um, we just keep this space uh, in a space of prayerful, just uh, a prayerful spirit, prayerful environment, because God wants to meet people in prayer up here. But as we close, with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, 
brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, living the new kind of life that Jesus Christ has secured for you. May you live lives of generosity, lives of honesty and truthfulness. And may the Lord begin to heal all the things beneath the surface that cause you to live in ways inconsistent with his kingdom and his character. May you receive the grace of Jesus Christ, the compassion of our Father, the companionship of the Holy Spirit. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the redeeming name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.